Sue over here bringing the heat on Sunday morning. Y'all didn't see that, but me and Sue did, right? I am a, uh, I'd like to think, you can ask my family, but I'd like to think I'm a what you see is what you get type of person. And uh, I can honestly, with uh, all sincerity, tell you uh, the Bahamas, Hawaii, the Rocky Mountains, wherever it might be, there's no place uh, in the world that I'd rather be than right here, right now with you. Amen. How many of you have already felt the presence of the Holy Spirit this morning? Amen. We're going to pray for that with expectation. We expect the Holy Spirit to show up when we worship. Why? Because Scripture tells us that he will. If you will, we're going to look together today at a probably an unusual passage, maybe one that maybe you have not heard, or is certainly one that you may not hear very often, but it's from the Old Testament, and it's from the prophet Haggai. And the word says, On the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Speak to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and Joshua, son of Josadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people. Don't say those words three times fast. Ask them, who is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? But now be strong, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, Joshua, son of Josadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord Almighty, and work, for I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. This is what I covenanted with you when you came up out of Egypt, and my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In just a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all the nations, and what is desired by all nations will come. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. The glory of this presence house will be greater than the glory of the former house, declares the Lord. And in this place, I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. My friends, this morning, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Almighty God, Lord, I pray, God, right now, Father, in the name of Jesus, that you would empty me of myself, as Philip spoke earlier, that we would hear not from what a mere mortal would have to say, but I pray, God, from your mouth to our ears and to our hearts, change us this morning. Convict us this morning. Anything that may be a distraction, take it away. Anything that may be a hindrance, take it away. Anything that may be a burden, Father, take it away. Help us to focus on you. We ask in Jesus' precious name and all my dear friends said, amen. Friends, the last 40 years or so, these motivational posters have gotten very, very popular. You cannot go to Shank's doctor's office. You cannot go to the local Millenport Elementary School you can't go to the local optometrist. All of these hardware stores, they all have these goofy motivational posters. Are you familiar with what I'm talking about? The one with the gigantic orca whale arching its back and flopping down into the water. Debbie, will you pull one of those up? 
consistency. Consistent at what? How about pull another one up, Deb? What you got? Mindset is everything. It looks like Noah's Ark or uh, Jonah in the well. One of the things that uh, I've noticed is that Jackson School has them all over the walls for encouragement. Many people have probably hung them up in their workplace. And a company I stumbled across a couple of years ago decided to put out some demotivational posters. I'd like to share a few of these demotivational posters with you. And one of them said, mistakes. It could be that the purpose of your life is to serve as a warning to others. I feel like that sometimes. Amen. Another one said, doubt in the battle between you and the world. Bet on the world. Right? Humiliation. The harder you try, the dumber you look. Amen. Losing, if at first you don't succeed, it could be that losing is just your style. As a new NC State Wolfpack fan, I'm beginning to understand that. Amen, Philip? No? Okay. All right. Well, it's been 40 years since they've won anything relevant. I'm sorry. But anyhow, despair, the last one. Brittany's going to punch me after the service. I can already tell. Despair, it's always darkest just before it gets what? Pitch dark. We laugh at all those because every one of us knows what discouragement feels like. Amen. I want for the next couple of minutes you to be vulnerable with me. The truth be told, in life we oftentimes spend more time discouraged than we are encouraged. These demotivational posters remind us that sometimes it's difficult to be optimistic all the time. Today we're going to talk about how to be focused on our priorities when we do get discouraged. You will not always be motivated to do the right thing. That's why you have to be disciplined to do the right thing. When discouragement comes, how can we stay focused on God's kingdom and God's priorities? Now you tell me the truth this morning. How many of you have ever heard a sermon from the Old Testament prophet Haggai before? Anybody? A handful, Hutch, all right, couple. I came across this story a few weeks ago, and it's done a number on me, to be honest with you. The people of Israel faced a situation 600 years before Jesus. They had an issue of expectation versus reality. Often, you and I have the same issues. After spending 70 years in exile in Babylon, away from their homeland, away from the remnant of their family, away from their place of worship, they finally returned home to Jerusalem. Seventy years, the Babylonian Empire had completely destroyed and wiped out the city of Jerusalem. They tore down the Jewish temple that King Solomon had built. And this is what they remembered. Debbie, will you pull that first picture up of the first kingdom, the first temple? This is a picture of what Solomon's original temple would have looked like. It's not historically considered one of the eight wonders of the ancient world, but it should be. What you cannot see here is that inside the house of worship, there are precious gems from as far south as the Sudan. There are medals and things of that sort from as far north as Germany. 
This is one of the most beautiful, beautiful undertakings in architecture in recorded history. King Solomon, known as the wisest man that ever lived, completed this house as an altar of worship and a place and house of worship for Almighty God. Now, after this temple is destroyed, this is the reality of what Haggai's people experienced. Will you pull that second up? This is what they came home to, y'all. This is what they saw. These returning exiles rebuild the walls of Jerusalem under the leadership of Nehemiah. Many of you know that story. Nehemiah rebuilt the walls. Y'all remember that from vacation Bible school? They laid the foundation to rebuild a new temple under the leadership of the prophet Ezra. But now, after 18 years, they had lost their focus. For nearly two decades, there was no progress in rebuilding the temple. So God raises up this prophet named Haggai to challenge them to get their priorities back in line with Almighty God. Our true priorities are revealed in how we spend our time, our efforts, and our resources. Philip mentioned that just a moment ago with that brilliant analogy about the gas station. He's going to a lot nicer gas stations than I am, amen? Most of the ones I have have crusty knobs, but that's a me problem. When our priorities are misplaced, life stops working. That's when we need to realign our priorities with God's priorities. When we realign what we want with what the Holy Spirit wants, that's when those blessings return to flow into our lives. The people of Israel responded to Haggai's sermon with obedience and commitment. And soon God was stirring in their hearts to, yes, let's rebuild this temple of worship. Today we're going to look at what happened when they went and got discouraged. We're going to see the cause of that discouragement and we're going to hopefully see the solution of this discouragement. We start with the cause here in verses 1 through 3. We learn that we become discouraged when our involvement in God's work appears to be insignificant. How many of you have felt like, i got to parse my words here, how many of you have ever felt like your work in the church has been insignificant or that it may not have been even noticed by others around you? Please don't raise your hand if you felt that way. How many of you have struggled that we may not see the returns of our work the way we would like, we work and work and work and give and give and give and do and do and do, and the enemy will come and will tell us, that's insignificant. You're not really making a difference. The date that Haggai gives this second message is very important. The 21st day of the seventh month in Israel's calendar translates to October 17th, 520 B.C. on our calendar. Now you may say, Bo, why is that so significant? It's the last day of the week-long celebration of the Jewish Feast of Tabernacles. The reason this day is so important is because on this exact day, 430 years earlier, King Solomon dedicated 
the first Jewish temple to Almighty God. They had quit roaming. They had finally set roots down in Jerusalem, and they had built the altar that God had directed them to build. It was magnificent. It was filled with the most precious metals, gems, and craftsmanship. As the people of Haggai's generation looked at this new temple that they were building, it looked nothing like what they had been used to. Solomon built the first temple during the golden age of Israel's history. Their borders extended further than they ever had before and even in all of these years since. During this golden age, people came from neighboring countries from all over the world to hear King Solomon's wisdom, to witness for themselves the beauty and the splendor, the grandeur of his temple. But in Haggai's generation, Israel was again an occupied territory. And even though they were back in their homeland, they were subservient to the Persian Empire. Their economy was struggling. The second temple they were building seemed pitiful in comparison to Solomon's temple. And in their minds, the second temple would never, ever match the glory and the greatness of that first temple. They felt like their contribution was insignificant. Sometimes when we work hard to get our priorities back in line with Almighty God, Sometimes it feels like our efforts are pointless and futile. But I want to tell you this morning, the devil is a liar. The devil is a liar. Your effort is not in vain. I thought this week about a husband who works hard to get his marriage priorities back in line with God's. He stops spending so much time at the office. He leaves work there. He starts giving his wife undivided attention. He takes the lead to establish a date night to go see the Little Mermaid at Eastgate with no kids, no work, no distractions. Amen? We're going to go get some sushi. We're going to live it up in Albemarle. He feels that this is what God would want him to do to make his marriage a priority. Maybe that's just Jennifer's idea of a date night. I don't know. Never mind. But instead of his wife getting excited about her husband's newfound priorities, his wife complains that he's smothering her. She's grown so accustomed to having her own life apart from him being there that she's not so sure that she wants this welcome change. The husband gets discouraged and feels like all the effort he made to rearrange his priorities are for nothing thought about a mother who becomes convicted about passing on her Christian values to her children. She realizes that she's been relying on Miss Jackie and Miss Misty to pass on those values to her children. And instead, she gets discouraged. How many of you have ever been discouraged? She makes a commitment before God that she's going to do better. And instead of that happening, her children get worse. Their behavior gets worse. One of her sons has a real problem with lying, so she focuses on biblical values, especially the commandment of being honest. But instead of her son getting better, he gets worse, and soon he's lying more than he ever did before. So she gets discouraged, wondering if her efforts are in vain. 
Many of us know what it feels like to rearrange our priorities only to be met with discouragement. And usually this discouragement stems from the fact that what we're doing appears to be insignificant. And that brings us to God's solution to this kind of discouragement. Here we learn that we stay focused on kingdom priorities in our discouragement by remembering God's promises. How many of you know this morning that God is faithful? That's an amen moment. How many of you know this morning that God is faithful? The people of Israel needed to be reminded of God's promises. So in addition to commanding them to be strong, to keep building, to refuse to cave in fear, Haggai reminds them of God's faithfulness before. He promised to be with them. God says, I am with you about 18 different times in the Bible. And every time God says he is with a person, that message comes at a critical junction and moment in their lives. At a time when that person needed to hear a word of assurance from Almighty God. This phrase means more than God is present because God is already personally present everywhere. For God to say to us, I am with you, means that God is on our side in what we are doing, that he's our advocate, our ally. God also reminds them of the covenant relationship that he had established with his children. He says, this is what I covenanted with you when I brought you up out of Egypt. When God entered into this covenant relationship with the nation of Israel, he pledged to be their protector, their provider, their defender, and their guardian. So even though they were discouraged, they are reminded of God's goodness. He reminds them that the Holy Spirit is at work among them. The Old Testament doesn't say a lot about the Holy Spirit, but this is one of those rare places where we find the Spirit of God mentioned. God's Spirit is guiding them and strengthening them, leading them and empowering them. One of Jesus' titles that we celebrate at Christmas is Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Jesus himself promised that he was with us to the very end of the age in the Great Commission. God promises us as Christians that he will never leave us nor forsake us, that he's on our side forever no matter what. And in times of discouragement, we would do well to remember that, that God entered into covenant relationship with us. We aren't under the same covenant that God made with Israel, but we are under a new, better one. In this new covenant, we are assured that all our sins are forgiven through Christ's death on the cross. We're given assurance that God is our provider, that he will meet our needs. And Jesus himself promised that if we seek first the kingdom of God, that all these things will be given to us as well. When we're discouraged, we would do well to remember God's faithfulness. Finally, God's Holy Spirit isn't just among us as Christians, but it actually lives inside of us. As Christians today, the Holy Spirit leads us by living inside us to guide us. We can be sure that whenever God's Spirit guides us, no matter how scary it might be, no matter how scary it might seem, that God will empower us to walk the path with joy and courage. I asked you a moment ago to be vulnerable with me for just a moment. How many of you are discouraged today? I cannot tell you the number of people that I talk to 
every single week, whether it be at the school, whether it be in the church, whether folks that I just encounter in the grocery line, people seem more discouraged today than ever. Would you agree with that? Have you rearranged your priorities lately only to feel like your efforts have been for nothing? God wants you to remember his promises today. You can rely on those promises because they are rock solid. God has never once broken a promise, and he never will. And when we're discouraged because it feels like our efforts are significant or insignificant, we need to remember that God has been faithful before. And now we come to the result of what it means to stay focused. Here we learn that when we stay focused on kingdom priorities in the midst of discouragement, God will use you beyond your limits. What do I mean by that? In these verses, God makes a prediction about the future. He says at some point in the future, he is going to shake things up. He likens what he's planning on doing with what he did when he brought them up out of Egypt. Just like the heavens and the earth shook when God worked his miracles to release the Israelites from their Egyptian captivity, so in a little while God says, I'm going to shake things up again. Many people believe the desired nation, mentioned in verse 7, is a prophecy about the future coming of Jesus. Christ is the one that all of the nations of the world inwardly yearn for when they authentically yearn for peace. And although they may not know what they're yearning for, ultimately we have a void in our hearts that only Jesus Christ can fill. And people today will seek to fill that void with anything but. I know that in my own life, friends, when I have gotten in trouble, it's not because my priorities were in line with God's priorities. God promises that the glory of this second temple will eclipse the glory of Solomon's temple. And when Haggai says that, you can almost imagine the look on their faces like, are you kidding? Look what we're building compared to what was here. And you might say, Bo, what does that mean? How can it eclipse the glory when it looks nothing like the original? The reason the glory of this temple would be greater than the glory of Solomon's temple is because this is the temple that the Savior would come to. When Jesus was a baby, he was presented at the temple. At 12, he was separated from his parents. I remember a time in my life when I got separated from mom and daddy in Eckerd's in Carolina Mall. Y'all remember when the Eckerd's was one of the cornerstones of the Carolina Mall? I went to the lady at the cash register and I said, my mom is lost. I was five years old. You remember the story where Jesus is 12 and the caravan going back to Nazareth leaves him there and they can't find him. They're freaking out. They're flipping out. And Jesus is there preaching and teaching. And he says, wouldn't you know that I'd be about my father's business? A few weeks ago, Jesus walked triumphantly into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. The first place he goes is where? To the temple. This is the place that God himself would visit in the person of Jesus. Solomon's temple, for all its grandeur and glory, could never make that claim. God also promises, lastly, that within this place, he would grant peace. 
the Hebrew word for peace, many of you have heard before, is shalom. Shalom in the Old Testament is the closest equivalent to the Greek word in the New Testament that we have for the word salvation. Shalom is more than just extending hospitality. Shalom is the restoration to completeness and wholeness, forgiveness of sins, healing of brokenness, reconciliation of the people. And again, this is a prediction that about 500 years after Haggai says these words, Jesus Christ would appear in this temple and provide that very restoration. So even though this small beginning of a temple looks like nothing now, praise God, it looks like something bigger in the future. One of the things that I love so much about what Reverend Crabtree shared last week, and I'm going to be honest with you, if you have not listened to that sermon, I've told about eight different people in my circle of friends and family, go listen to that sermon. The points were so simple, but one of the things that I love that Crabtree shared is that he tells them to keep their eyes off of what they see into what they cannot see. The glimpse that Haggai gives to the people based on what God has shared with him is enough to encourage them to fuel their faith to persevere. This window into the future is designed to help them believe that God will use his temple beyond the limitations of their own vision. And when they stay focused on God's kingdom priorities in the midst of their discouragement, God uses us beyond our limitations as well. We may not live to see how God does it, or like Haggai's generation, we may only have a glimpse, but God will do much more later. I want to share with you a story about Grace Baptist Church in Philadelphia. Miss Debbie, will you pull that picture of Hattie Mae up, please? called the 57 cent story about Hattie Mae Wyatt. There's a little girl in Philadelphia at this large Baptist church. She was turned away because the ministry had grown so big that it was overcrowding and they didn't have room for her. That day Hattie Mae Wyatt started saving her pennies to help the church make more room to build on extra space for the children's ministry. Two years later, Hattie Mae tragically died. And in her pocketbook next to her bed, her mom and daddy found 57 pennies and a piece of paper with a note saying that the money that she was raising was to be used to help the church build a bigger children's ministry to help other kids like her. At Hattie Mae's funeral, her mother gave those 57 cents in the note to Pastor Russell Conwell, the pastor at Grace Baptist. That Sunday, Pastor Conwell shared Hattie Mae's story with the congregation and the people's hearts were so touched. A realtor gave the church a piece of land to expand the children's ministry, asking simply for 57 cents as a down payment. A local newspaper carried the story and soon news about Hattie Mae Wyatt's 57 cents spread across the entire country and pennies grew far beyond Hattie Mae's initial 57 cents. Grace Baptist Church not only built a new children's ministry wing, but an entire children's ministry center that today in 2023 seats over 4,000 people. Out of that movement of generosity from this little girl, her example, the church built Temple University in Philadelphia and soon thereafter built Good Samaritan Hospital in Philadelphia. 
In fact, years ago, when Jennifer and I visited Philadelphia to go to the Army-Navy football game, we visited Temple University, and you can find a picture on the wall of Hattie Mae Wyatt, the little girl, whose 57 pennies were used far beyond what she could dream because of the power of the Holy Spirit. Today in the life of the church, friends, I want to tell you, is a very special moment in time. I got into an argument earlier about whether this was red or pink. My dad finally settled this rose. It's reddish. Today is Pentecost Sunday. This is a Pentecostal church, amen? This is a Pentecostal church, amen? We believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. One of the things that drove me to this place is the firm belief that the Holy Spirit is still alive and well and working in the lives of those that believe. I want to ask you right now, how many of you feel discouraged in life? Being truly vulnerable, I associate the power of the Holy Spirit at a time in my life when I begged for an outpouring because I was so discouraged with what I had seen in my own churches, in my own life, in our own denomination. I begged for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, much like the people in Haggai's story. Until we came to First Assembly a year and a half ago. And as I say that, it's hard to believe it's been that long already. For the previous 17 years, I've been an associate pastor and then a senior pastor in the United Methodist Church. And some of the things that I had seen and witnessed and experienced were so discouraging, there was a time where I wanted to quit church in general. Those of you that have been in ministry maybe have been in a season of life like that before. I went and saw my doctor, my friend Ken Shank. And I just laid out to him, Ken, this is keeping me up at night. I'm suffering from anxiety, depression. And instead of um, instead of discouraging me, my dear friend Ken said, I got an idea. Coming up was an Assemblies of God conference in Anaheim, California. Many of you may not know, the Assemblies of God is a Pentecostal church. During one of the teaching sessions, they put a quote up on the screen from a man named Samuel Chadwick. Debbie, will you put that quote up, please? Satan dreads nothing but prayer. His one concern is to keep the saints from praying. He fears nothing from prayerless studies, prayerless work, prayerless religion. He laughs at our toil. He mocks our wisdom, but he trembles when we pray. Say that with me. He trembles when we pray. Now, I got way excited in the middle of this big arena out in Anaheim, California. I knew no one else there besides Shank. And I start jumping up and down in the seat. Yeah! And these people are looking at me like I've got three heads. Because I knew what they didn't know, and that's that Samuel Chadwick was a Methodist pastor. That's the tradition I was a part of. Friends, I want to tell you this morning, there is power in our prayers through the power of the Holy Spirit. Are we a church that has the power of prayer through the power of the Holy Spirit? 
If you are a believer, the Holy Spirit lives inside you. And to be filled with the Holy Spirit means we allow him to occupy every ounce and area of our lives. How much of the Holy Spirit do you have? How much of the Holy Spirit has you? Now, I got, I'm going to do a little science experiment here. Y'all forgive me. Debbie, will you pull up that advertisement that I shared with you? Now, my papa, I can remember this like it was yesterday, y'all. He'd eat cheese toast for dinner. We'd have spicy Cajun something or another. It didn't matter. He needed Alka-Seltzer to get through the night. Amen. Now, I can distinctly remember being upstairs and hearing in 3 o'clock in the morning, plop, plop. Y'all with me? He'd get up and all you could hear and that's it. Now here this morning, I got two packets of water and two packets of Alka-Seltzer. Now if I drop this unopened Alka-Seltzer in the water, what happens? Not one thing. But if I access what's inside, power is activated friends I want to tell you this morning notice how you can have the power of the Holy Spirit but not have his filling our goal is to live in such a way as to unwrap the packaging around the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit my prayer before we came here my prayer that while we are here And my prayer is that years after we have left here, that this church would truly have the power of the Holy Spirit moving and that you would see an unmistakable change. One of the greatest things that we have forgotten is that the Holy Spirit is your friend. The Greek word that's used that many of you have probably heard before is called paraclete. It basically means to be called to one side. And there's a lot of good words that translate to it. Comforter, advocate, intercessor, companion. These translations are powerful descriptions of the Holy Spirit's ministry. One other that is used is helper. One of the things I love so much about that is you don't have to do things in your own strength. You have the power of Almighty God living inside you. The Apostle Paul says that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, guess where he lives? inside you I'm going to invite Philip and the band to come back on the stage and as we close I want you to think of this one of my heroes is the great theologian J.I. Packer and he shares the story of how he was meditating on the Holy Spirit one night before a message and he said I remember it being a cold January night one winter evening and He said he was going to preach on the words that Jesus says in John 16, 14, that he will glorify me, predicting the giving of the Holy Spirit. Well, seeing his church being floodlit as he turned the corner, he realized that this was exactly the illustration that his message needed. When the floodlighting was done well, 
the lights are placed so that you don't see the floodlights, amen? You're not supposed to see where the light is coming from. What you are meant to see is the building on which the floodlights are trained. The intended effort is this, to make visible what otherwise would be not seen because of the darkness. This perfectly illustrates the Holy Spirit's covenant role. He is, so to speak, the hidden floodlight that shines on the Savior. There was a time in my life where I longed for the physical presence of Jesus, to be like Mary and to cover his feet with my tears, to lay at his feet and to be able to listen and to hear, to be able to be wrapped in front of his arms. And then the more that the Lord convicted me of that, Jesus says this way is actually better. It's to our advantage that the Holy Spirit is sent because it's like this. As fully human, Jesus was limited by time and space, but the Holy Spirit is now present everywhere simultaneously. Jesus concentrated his time and effort on just a few people. The Spirit fills all of us who welcome him, and it changes us from within. Jesus' specific ministry of dying and rising again was beyond the comprehension of even his closest friends. But ascending to the Father, he leaves the Spirit free to testify to this miracle, to guide us, to direct us. The Spirit is our friend, but we have got to submit. Friends, we have all the help we need. We can still be wrestling for control of our lives, but not be filled with the power of the presence of the Holy Spirit. As I close this morning, over a hundred years ago, a committee of ministers were discussing the possibility of having the great evangelist D.L. Moody to come serve during a citywide revival. Finally, one young minister who was jealous of Moody's success and acclaim stood up and said, Why Moody? Does he have a monopoly on the Holy Spirit? And there was silence for a long time. And then as they often do, a seasoned veteran minister, rich with experience, stood up and said, no, D.L. Moody doesn't have a monopoly on the Holy Spirit. The monopoly of the Holy Spirit is on D.L. Moody. I want to ask you, friends, this morning as we close, does the Holy Spirit have a monopoly on you? Is the Holy Spirit controlling you? Are you filled with his presence? He is available and sometimes we hurt, sometimes we're scared, and Jesus knows all these things. But he tells us that we can be an overcomer. How can God use you? I'm going to ask you as we close to do something a little bit different. I'm going to ask you to stand. Debbie, will you pull that scripture back up? And I want you to confidently declare this over your life. The word says, this is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the land. I will shake all nations and what is desired. By all nations will come, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord God Almighty. The silver is mine, 
The gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. The glory of this present house will become greater than the glory of the former house, declares the Lord. And in this place, I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. Friends, I want to tell you right now, in this place, God will grant peace. In this place, God will grant peace. Bethlehem means God with us. Calvary's cross means God for us. But Pentecost, friends, means God in us. I want to invite you, friends, if, uh, if nobody comes, that's wonderful. But if everybody comes, that'd be even better. To pray for each other. To pray for this church and our closeness and our community. To pray for our ministries and our kids. To pray for their friendships and their relationships. To pray for those that are taking tests in the next two weeks. To pray for those that have cancer. To pray for those that are struggling. To pray for our marriages. To be revived. To be used by the hands and feet of Almighty God in this community when we leave this place. I want to invite you just for a moment to come into worship and to pray with me and we will close. Almighty God, Lord, I just stop and I just want to thank you for your goodness. Father, I just want to return thanks. Father, you are so much better to us than we deserve. You are so much better than we have earned. God, I pray for my dear friends this morning. God, I thank you for the blessing that they are in my life, in the life of my family, in the life of the families of this staff. God, I pray that you would convict us to do our best to serve you, to serve each other. God, I pray that if one is hurting today, that they would receive encouragement. Father, you know the needs that we have, and again, you tell us in your word that we have not because we ask not, but God, right now we ask for a new infilling of the power of the Holy Spirit. Fill us from top to bottom, all the way from our fingertips to our toes, Lord, that when we leave this place, it would be unmistakable that we have felt the power of the presence. Father, we love you. We thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Grant us.